Hi, I'm Justine, and I'm here to tell you being mentally ill isn't the end of the world. I know what it's like to live with a mental illness. It's hard. You're constantly trying to hide your struggles from others, and you feel like you're weaker than others because of your illness. But that's not true. So many badasses struggle with mental illnesses, but they don't talk about them because they're afraid of being judged or thought of as weak-minded. Well, guess what? They're not. We can change that by talking openly about our struggles and sharing our stories with each other in a positive light. This is why I created Mentally a Badass, so we can come together as badasses who are also mentally ill or who has had it rough in life and share our stories with one another in a safe place that celebrates our strengths rather than shames our weaknesses. I hope this podcast helps you feel less alone in this crazy life of ours, and I hope it makes your life just a little bit better. Paris Brinkevich is the podcast host of Live Well Bipolar, professional speaker for National Alliance on Mental Illness, bipolar wellness coach and best-selling author of Cricket Illness, Lessons from Inside and Outside Hospital Walls. Paris had made it her mission to use her story to teach others how to shatter stigma and overcome their obstacles to begin to craft the life they have always wanted to live. Paris has experienced life with bipolar from the most unique perspective. She went from struggling at 19 years old after receiving a diagnosis of bipolar 1 while hospitalized to returning to work at that same place to help others and share what works. Paris received her BA in psychology from the University of Arizona and her MBA in healthcare administration from Western Governors University. I'm excited for you to listen to this valuable conversation that I had a privilege to have with Paris. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mentally a Badass. I am super excited to have another fellow podcast host onto my podcast today. Her name is Paris. Thank you so much for coming on here. I'm so glad I have you. It only took me three months, but gotcha. <laughs> of course, Justine. I'm so happy to be joining you today and just getting into this conversation. I know we've been talking a lot on Instagram, <laughs> going back and forth with each other and stuff, but I'm super excited just to kind of like share my story and just be an open book today to get into these topics related to mental health, stigma, bipolar, and just what it looks like to live with a diagnosis, manage it, and just really anything else that you are wanting to ask, I am here to get into it. Love that. I love that you're an open book because we're going to be talking about all things from childhood, your experience being hospitalized, and how you went from being hospitalized to living your best life pretty much is what, what you would say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like, yeah, trying to get there and just, you know, d- every day, like doing the work to like stay consistent with it and just you know, maintain the progress that I made. And of course, there's going to be ups and downs still to this day. But yeah, just really navigating a lot of those big barriers that were there for a long time, number of years. Yeah, I wish that the people like us were, uh, were a thing back in the day when uh, it was it was a rough time. But so let's start digging into, you know, just a little bit in depth to your childhood, just because with bipolar, although it is genetic, a lot of it says, a lot of them say that it could be triggered by trauma, something in your childhood. So if you would like to just kind of like open up, um, first of all, when, when exactly were you diagnosed? Was it, was it 19 when you were hospitalized? Yeah. So 19 was when I was hospitalized and that's when I was actually diagnosed with mm-hmm. bipolar before I was 16. It was depression. I was first initially diagnosed with that. 
Um, but yeah, it wasn't until my hospitalization that I got the diagnosis. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to an episode, that's when they di- diagnose you. But did you ever feel like when you were 14, 15, 16, even though you'll be in therapy for depression, you felt like it was just a little bit more of that, that you're kind of wondering why am I the way I am? Like, did you feel like that sense of relief when you were finally diagnosed? Yeah. Cause I had a lot of those questions going into it. I just felt like there was, like you said, like something more in the background going on that it was really hard to put into words for me at the time, because I never was really public or open about any history wise with therapy, going to psychiatrist, working through um, my diagnosis or history with medication or any of that. So when I first was diagnosed with depression, I just felt like I, it was, there was more of it. So when I started, right. So basically like 15, 16, 17, 18, and then the first half of being 19 was more of that period of depression, what you would typically think of. Right. So literally going from being younger, being like so much more interested in a lot of different things, wanting to do more activities, whether it's at school with friends, just being outside and, you know, having energy and just feeling hopeful, really losing a lot of that with, you know, and of course, going back to what we talk about with childhood, we were, I'm actually from Arizona. So born and raised here. And then we, I remember we moved back to Pennsylvania, which is where my family's from. And that's always hard, right? Like moving to a whole new state. You're in like middle school. I was 14. You're leaving all your friends. You're going to a new school. You're like the new person. So that was already hard in and of itself. And then, you know, that's really when I started to notice just this overwhelming feeling of not being interested in things that I used to be. And it was so hard for me to explain it and understand why am I feeling like this? Like what's going on? Cause I always want to understand like, what's the cause, what's the root of it? Like all of these things. And then it wasn't until being diagnosed with bipolar when I was 19, I had more of the mania that started to come in at 19. So for me, like working, I was working two jobs. I was in school full time. I was just going, 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 racing thoughts, like constantly having a lot of conflict in relationships with like friends, family, Um, my boyfriend at the time, a lot of arguing, fighting, not knowing how to communicate, really struggling with that. But then just feeling really shameful when it comes to saying, okay, here's how I'm feeling and is there a name for this? What's going on? And really when I first got that diagnosis back with what you're saying, I felt relief because I was like, okay, I can start doing research into it, looking up other people who are open. And at the time for me, when I was 19, I didn't ever think to go to Instagram where we got connected to find other people who are open about their experiences because I didn't open up about my experiences until I was almost, I think it was 23 years old. So for that whole time, I wasn't talking about it. And that's something that we can get into too, um, just related to the stigma. Yeah, no, definitely. I would like to hear your thoughts on, you know, society and the stigma. I don't think I've ever asked you, um, how old are you currently? 27. Oh my gosh, me too. Ah. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so funny. When's your birthday? My birthday is next month. So April 13th. April, mine's August 7th. So you're technically a little bit older than me. A little bit older. So you're a 95, so you're a 95 baby. Yeah. 
Yes. Oh, that's so funny. That's awesome. Cause I was trying to get the idea, like how you said 23 is when you were starting to be more open. So I was like trying mm-hmm. to do my math and be like, okay, how long ago was that? Um, yeah. And also, and I definitely agree. Like, you know, during our time as middle school and high school, like mental health wasn't really spoken about, you know, mm-hmm. like it is today. If anything, it would be like on the surface level of it about just regular emotions, happy, sad, mm-hmm. et cetera. Or, um, you know, how like those like stop bullying kind of posters kind of thing that doesn't that wasn't really effective. Mm-hmm. So from what I was listening to, from what it sounds, do you feel that the switch, I guess, was more okay, I want to say switch, that's the wrong word. Um, when you were starting to experience symptoms is when you did like that move. Because yeah. that has a I, I that usually trend, you know, making change like life changes, that's something that can add stress. So Yeah, I would definitely say like, that's really what's when I first started to notice it. So moving initially, so I was 14, so literally 14, 15, 16, 17, and then also getting into like my first relationship and then not knowing, you know, of course, like who comes out and talks about how to communicate in relationships for people who are like, there was like none of that back in the day. If you're like, think about it, right at all. And again, who knows? Because the social media wasn't really as big then like it was today. Like mm-hmm. social media was more like, oh, friends and family. And you really just follow your friends and yada, yada, yada. We didn't have an algorithm like back in the day where the way we met is because of the shared interest of mental health advocacy and podcasting. And that's how we were brought together. I don't know who found who, but I, <laughs> I always forget that part. Uh, I'm yeah. sure I could figure it out if I look closely at my DMs or whatever. But um, I also have another person who runs the account too, Ariel. So I don't oh, know. Yeah, awesome. I know. It, yeah, her and I are a tag team at this. So we both, she does all of the the graphics and the carousel posts and mostly stories. And then I do all like the videos and podcasting and such. See, that's why I'm so happy we got connected because like you're saying back in the day when we were like 14, 15, 16, mm-hmm. it was like what you're saying, like we you follow your friends, you don't really go connect with people you don't know who are, you know, considered strangers in different states and different things like that. So, you know, really getting into like you're saying, like, again, like what first started it, right? When I first started to notice these symptoms, these different changes was really starting with that move and then also getting into you know, a lot of unhealthy relationships mm-hmm. and me too. You know, that were, yeah, right. Really abusive. I've been there. Toxic relationships, like you're bullying, like you're talking about. Like I've seen you talk a lot about that on on your page too. And, you know, really experiencing that myself and just not knowing how to set boundaries or feeling like I, I can't, like not feeling worthy of being able to let other people down and putting up with a lot of things that were not good for my mental health and just pushing through, pushing through. So I would definitely say that first, when I first started to notice it was definitely that move shifting, like, of course, like going from Arizona to Pennsylvania, big change in the weather too. So environment, like like, seasonal effectiveness with like mood disorders and things like that. So really like noticing a big shift in that. And then just not having any interest and really connecting with people. Just, I want to be, I wanted to be alone more. I wanted to kind of be on my own. And just that really led to just isolating. And of course, like when you're left by yourself, you can either kind of get into the cycle of 
really, really negative thinking and thoughts about yourself and then your own perception of the world around you. So really a combination of those things. So that move really getting into, you know, a lot of unhealthy relationships from a young age, not knowing how to advocate for myself or set boundaries. And then just when I did feel like I wanted to talk about it, it was shot down. I would just change the subject and I would just tell myself I can't get into this because you are going to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. When you're saying a lot about boundaries, I feel like we all started really learning about how to set boundaries. Like so recently, I -hmm. feel if something like that was taught in like your childhood, Mm -hmm. I feel that can make so much of a difference because back when I was a kid and uh, high school, I was like the biggest like people pleaser, like the biggest one. And then I went through a lot of self-development, which I'm very excited to talk about with you since you, I've been watching, I saw your reels and it was all, had a lot to do with like, you know, changes to your habits, environment that has, maybe that's why I'm so into personal development. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you should see the amount of books I've, I've like not written. Um, I have never wrote a book, but uh, (laughs) read, I have read, Um, but we're going to talk about that. But first let's hop from the background of your um, diagnosis. And I would like to learn more about your experience of being hospitalized. Like what, what exactly, what was like, whatever you're comfortable in talking about, like basically what happened that put you into a lot into the hospital? Yeah. So I remember that for me was like one of the hardest experiences of my life and definitely extremely stressful, overwhelming and traumatic just from what I've seen in the hospital. And I remember, you know, wanting to talk openly about this in the process of writing my book. So I really get into all of the description and like the events more in depth, but really what it was like for me was what led up to that was, you know, before that I was in therapy and had a psychiatrist I was seeing, I was on of course, different medications because at the time I was, it was thought that I had um, depression. So I was on medication for that, but you know, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, and many people listening to this too, when you're, um, living with bipolar and you're taking uh, medication for depression, it can really like kick you into mania and oh, being, you know, wow. manic. So, I didn't even think but, of that. Yeah. And I remember for, for me for a while, I, oh, wow. I didn't really notice, I didn't have any, I'm like this, these medications aren't doing anything. They're not working. So I remember just one day taking like I think it was like three or four of the pills and being like, well, maybe if I take a little bit more, it'll make me happier. Something will be different. Mm -hmm. And it really kicked me into being that whole period of of mania. So Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, getting into a lot of arguments with my boyfriend at the time that I was dating, you know, throughout high school. And then just, you know, saying a lot of like, like just hurtful things to him and coming out and being really, really cruel and mean. And then just, there was always like a back and forth and then like break up, get back together. And really for me, like what led to the hospitalization was I remember even before that, um, earlier in the day, I just felt like when I was trying to be open about what was going on, it was like, I think I'm like, Oh, maybe this is bipolar. And I remember my doctor's like, no, it's not, you know, and I was like, well, how come? And they're like, well, you're working two jobs. You're getting good. You have good grades in all your classes. You know, you're basically, you look stable is what it kind of came down to. Like you look, look 
on paper, right? Like you seem uh-huh. look like this, but I'm like, but I was like, no, like I'm like, I, I know I'm doing working my two jobs. And I guess because the thought is, oh, if you're bipolar, you couldn't even have a job. Like you couldn't mean you can't keep it a job or there's a lot of like issues with that too. So I was like, that was what I was thinking is like, okay, is he saying this because he's saying, well, you're working two jobs. So there must be doing something right or something, but it's like, no, I'm like, I'm just, I can't slow down. I'm constantly like, um, I'm not sleeping barely. I don't feel tired. And, you know, I'm just not taking care of myself. And, you know, that's really what led me to, you know, that, that day I talk about it, you know, like leaving an appointment and like, even throughout the whole course of the day, like, I remember, I think it was calling the police nine times throughout the whole day. Like, and this was the thing is like calling them. And then there's things that I don't remember. Like, I don't remember the full, there's like different things. Like you're saying like memory, like kind of like losing parts of your memory or what was going on, but just like crying a lot and just feeling like something is not right. And really just ending up like getting myself taken to an urgent psychiatric center, which is where they evaluate you. And then they ended up, um, having me transferred to the hospital at that point. And then that's when they, you know, do the evaluation and then give you a diagnosis. So really that whole stretch of time for me felt like a long time, even though it was only two weeks, a two week period. It felt like, I felt like I was gone for a year because you really lose track of time, especially when you're, if you've ever had the experience of being in psychosis, then that's really what it was. So and just, and that's why I love that you get into the personal development because I did not start getting into that until right around the time, like 23, right. So like mm-hmm. 22, 23, and like you're saying, getting into reading a lot of books, discovering podcasts, and, you know, of course having to change a lot of things, because when I go back to like, what led to me going into the hospital, right? When like my environments I was in, like the relationship. So cutting out those and really just taking time to myself and really what I need to change. I need to do these different things because these are the patterns that I'm taking with me into whether it's like a romantic relationship, whether it's a friendship, whatever it is, something needs to be different. And I need to figure out what that is. Yeah. And I also practicing self-awareness is the biggest thing. So if you know, you're like, okay, I'm starting to act up or whatever. It's like good and a bad, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's great because it's good for us to be self-aware of how we're acting It's bad. Cause I hate watching it. So that's, that's very interesting how you said medication. Cause I do know somebody else who ended up was hospitalized and it was a trigger from medication. Um, actually no, not medication. Well, it is, well, it's a drug, but I think it was an illegal mm-hmm. drug. I don't think it was like antidepressants. I think it was like something illegal or whatever mm-hmm. that triggered it. And um, that person never had like, apparently never had like any symptoms their whole life until they did that drug and then ended up completely one manic and then ended up being hospitalized yeah. um, and then had that diagnosis of the same exact one as you bipolar one. Yeah. So that's, and that's, yeah. that's basically like, it's a gene and it was triggered by that, by that particular drug, which is like really horrifying. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think mine was, well, mine was, well, I had my biggest episode. My biggest episode was um, 
when I was like 17 I noticed I would get triggered a lot when it was like out like a romantic relationship kind of thing and if I went through a breakup like I would take it to a whole different level like instead of it just being like oh I mean obviously it sucks to you know go through that but mom would be like feeling like I'm dying yeah like that's like the worst feeling like I even got physically sick one time Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah Yeah. and I was like it it was kind of like it was it felt like someone died Mm -hmm. that's that's like Mm -hmm. how much how painful it was so that's when I uh I don't think I I barely remember that night either but I wasn't like hospitalized it was more of just being my parents like bring me to my therapist the next day and then him saying you need to go to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist basically asking my whole life story and then was like mm-hmm. yeah you're bipolar and I was like huh mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I was yeah. 17 so at the time I didn't really have much knowledge about it I was mm-hmm. like really I yeah. thought I just had like depression or or you're gonna give me some antidepressant but like no you need a vilify I was like for mood stabilizer mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. like oh okay yeah I was completely in shock but they said, yeah, they said bipolar. And like, oh, we think we're, we have BPD. Um, it's, apparently, they say they don't like to diagnose BPD under um, as a minor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But oh, borderline. You're, yeah, borderline yeah, personality. Borderline, yeah. Yeah. So he gave me like an official diagnosis of bipolar and kind of like hesitant about the BPD. He was like, yeah, come mm-hmm. back later kind of thing for that one. Um, but TikTok's apparently telling me that I am. <laughs> right the tiktok for you page way too relatable <laughs> no i know i i deactivated the tiktok for a little bit because it's just too much time. i mean to be honest it inspires me for content in reality i kind of like make the same content like that's where i get more uh like views is when people relate to whatever i'm saying on my on my reels i like to really add humor to it and I think it's just because it's like my personality. Yes. And I was talking to another person who has um, bipolar as well. I interviewed her. She actually, yeah, her name is Amanda. And um, I said to her, I said, Ariel posts all like the positive graphics about like self-care and all that good stuff and everything and boundaries. And I'm here like laughing about my illness. Like, Mm-hmm. and I was like I feel like I'm being naked she's like no you're not you're just being relatable and then people who are feeling that way they don't feel alone I'm like thank you for saying it like that because I don't want to come off as some like negative Nancy so let's go from after you know being hospitalized and you said you used to you used to work there right mm-hmm. yeah so-, so actually so yeah so I was yeah so hospitalized at 19 and then mm-hmm. I came back home so I was there for two weeks Mm-hmm. And I remember I came back home and then during that time I was still in school. So I was still in, still in college. And then I ended up graduating from, from school and I had my degree. So my bachelor's degree in psychology and I had different places I was interviewing at or whatever, and like, um, different offers and things. But I remember going back to the same hospital and then I worked there actually, which was, um, a pretty wild experience to be on both ends of, being a patient there and then going back to work there. And I tell some stories about it in the book of even working with people that going back there and seeing people that I was with when I was in the hospital myself. So I'm really happy for that, for the experience to be able to, you know, go back and, you know, help people who, you know, when I have this experience myself and I'm living it right now in real time, you know, what, 
what things am I trying to work on? Or like, Mm -hmm. what is working? Like what's making a difference? And then actually listening to them Mm -hmm. and letting them tell me their story instead of just assuming like, okay, this is probably what they have. Cause I remember that was my experience in the hospital of like (laughs) a lot of like feeling like there was not really conversations and just, Mm -hmm. this is what's going on with her thing. Yeah. I feel like in order to get an accurate diagnosis, they really need to go in depth with having that conversation. And it's funny Mm -hmm. how you mentioned, I was watching this show. It's like one of those like medical shows called new Amsterdam. And then there was this doctor in the ER talking to this one lady for so long. And apparently you're only supposed to like, I guess with the whole, the, not the hotel, the hospital was like, oh yeah, 10 minute consultation or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. This guy was like with the girl for hours or whatever. And based off of conversation, he was able to get give her an accurate diagnosis of Lyme disease because they eventually were talking about some vacation she was on or whatever. So they're able to grab that. So it's really just like, you can't really just ask too basic, basic of questions. You kind of have to really dig deep and- that's where you kind of have more of an understanding of that person that takes more than like 10 minutes to do that. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, I just like, wait, so you said you were a case case manager, right? Yes. How is, how is that experience working as one? So, yeah. So going through, so a lot of it was going into like the hospitals, like different homes and really, you know, working one-on-one with, the clients and seeing, you know, they, they give you like papers to fill out, like here, do this assessment, of course, right. Ask about life history, different experiences, medication history, and then kind of, you know, offering like whatever they're trying to work on. Like, what are some of the goals? What are the, some of the things that you want to improve on or be better at? Um, how are you feeling? Like really getting a sense for, you know, that like inner dialogue of how they're speaking to themselves. So really trying to, mm-hmm connect with that too. And a lot of what I really would see is, you know, a lot of the people, um, feeling super overwhelmed and like, not just the clients, but then the people working there, you know, not Mm -hmm. liking what they're doing or not enjoying the work. And for me, like that was what, I mean, this is right before the pandemic started, but I really enjoyed it because I lived through that experience myself. And I was still in a place where I was trying to make changes So I feel like it's, you know, but of course too, like under understanding and, you know, being able to encourage somebody that, you know, you are able to move forward because I feel like a lot of my experience in the hospital was, okay, you're diagnosed bipolar one SMI, which is like severely severe mental illness. And, you know, I wasn't really given any direction or I just, I did it myself. I've always been like the kind of person you know, like, you know, figure it out, like do it yourself and make a plan and then try to execute on that. But Mm -hmm. there's other people who need more support because they're really basically told like kind of how I was of just, you know, take your medicine and go to your appointments. Like don't really focus too much Mm -hmm. on other things, you know? So it's kind of like, you're basically feeling like you won't be able to, um, accomplish a lot of things or help people with in the way you want to, because it's of the stigma that's put on like the mental illness kind of part, which I'm sure you definitely, you know, understand. So. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. I'm trying to think of back when I was 17 that I had my official diagnosis, which by the way, I was 
I think I saw I saw like multiple different psychiatrists because I've moved mm-hmm. like between let's see I grew up in New Jersey in North Jersey and then I went to school in South Jersey so I needed to see a therapist and a psychiatrist there in mm-hmm. that one they're like oh no we don't think you have bipolar we think you just have ADHD depression anxiety I'm like mm-hmm. oh okay and then they and then I moved to Florida and then I went back to therapy and um psychiatry and they're like oh yeah yeah you have bipolar so it's like I went to three mm-hmm. different psychiatrists and two of them yeah. said bipolar one was like no nah, you have ADHD um yeah. so I'm like okay that little concerns me a little bit um why well, I'm getting mm-hmm. like three different an- like two different answers but um but I do know that when I like right now I'm not on medication but when I am on medication it definitely does help um I'm not on it right now just because I was on it before when it was really, really hard for me when I was in a very stressful job. Um, I, I mean, right now I work for myself, but when I was in nine to five, I was in a, the, the kind of job was literally a guest service job. And it was a lot of pretty much getting yelled at every single day. And that's not good for like your mental health, obviously. So someone who has that mental illness, it's a lot harder and then this talks about how it's hard to go to work. Some people who are bipolar. I had mm-hmm. that issue. I mm-hmm. thankfully had to go on F- had FMLA. So that's mm-hmm. what saved me from getting fired. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I went and got back on medication. It was helping me, you know, get out of bed in the morning. And I was showing up a little bit more. Um, but where was I going with that? <laughs> no just kind of getting into I, I see what you're like you're talking about just like the transition from like the struggling with the job stuff and like a lot of like I feel like you, we see it a lot right on like social media and different people like having really really bad experiences and I've had really bad experiences too but you know and like talking about the medication thing too which I think is and that's why I love that you bring that up too because I know it's like for everyone it's so different mm-hmm. right like some person some people this works for them this and that might not work for you or for me or whoever it is but you know just finding what it is that is helpful um that's really what it and it, it, it's so hard because like I feel like even if you're like I tried this and I'm trying this thing and I'm doing this and nothing's working and it's like just keep trying it's like it gets annoying after a little bit and exhausting but, yeah People are universally attracted to cute things. Plus, your everyday anxiety will be magically calm once you start to color. Coloring is proven to be an effective way to de-stress and relieve anxiety by activating the parasympathic nervous system. This is why I created the Mentally a Badass Coloring Book. It is a self-affirmation color book with inspirational affirmations to help you feel better about yourself and give you the confidence you need in life. Order Mentally a Badass Coloring Book today on Amazon. The link will be in the podcast description. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's talk about um, like the personal development aspect and like, you know, mm-hmm. changing your life. Like, yeah. So I first remember when I first got into it, I had a friend from high school actually reach out to me and say that they were, they're like, oh, I have like, you know, this extra ticket for this like seminar. And I've never gone to a personal development event or anything. So I didn't, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go. And I remember going to this and just, you know, seeing people get on stage and like share their story and talk about, you know, everyone had different, you know, there was one person who speak speaking and different, you know, saying I used to be homeless and struggle with addiction. And now, 
you know, this is really what I've done to transform my life. So I feel like it, that's really where it started for me was going to this event and seeing the possibilities that are out there. Cause for so long, I've only seen like things that don't work or mm-hmm. this sucks, or this happened to me, you know, mm-hmm. as when I was younger, like getting into a lot of the things that were super, super difficult that I get into in the book, like going through sexual assault and abuse and all these things. So like really setting the bar is everything sucks. No one cares, all these things. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's really what it was like for me. So getting into that event and then starting to say, okay, well, I'll read this book, right. That this guy had. So I remember reading, um, it was, I think one of them was thinking grow rich. And then, like you said, like, I have, I know that book. Yeah. Right. So see, I had like a whole list of, I think it was from like 2020. So like 2020, 21, 22. So like reading like 50 books a year, like, wow. And I, and now, I mean, I'm trying to do it again too. Like just getting into like reading and and just seeing more people's stories of like, and getting into like you're saying habits. So going back to the gym again, because I stopped doing that. I stopped taking care of my body. I stopped, I just didn't have the energy or like the, the interest in that Mm -hmm. anymore because I've been, I've, again, like basically drowning in your own thoughts of Mm -hmm. negativity and stuff. So, and then changing my relationship. So cutting back on things that I was doing, like going out, meeting, going on all these dating apps, meeting people online, I'm done with it. Right. Like no more, any of this different stuff. So that that's really what actually allowed me to be able to meet my husband who I got married to on Sunday. You guys, I literally got engaged a year ago and we just got married and really like being able to meet and like for the finally being able to learn in a relationship, how to communicate and really tell your story without the fear of being judged. And then to work with, with a partner Mm -hmm. Um, and then also new friends, right? So being into a new environment where you're meeting people who are really driven and have purpose and like really seeing what works for them. So that's really what helped me is seeing other people being able to do that with their life saying, okay, well, if they can have this experience similar to me and they can change, then so can I. So the more you change your environment and what you're thinking, you know, getting into, which I used to think was so, I guess you can say like maybe stupid, like, oh, gratitude or affirmations or writing out your journaling. I don't think it's stupid. Have you seen my Instagram? No, but that's how I was. I used <laughs> oh, to think it was. I'm at least, I, used at least I would think that. I was like, have you looked at the post? No, <laughs> I used to think it when I was, be- this is like back before I started doing it. I used to okay. think that. I was like, oh. So you weren't believing in that at that point. No, oh, okay. so that makes sense. Getting, getting into it. Yeah. So really that's what a lot of it was, was starting to make the changes with that. So first, like you're saying, because you start with the self-awareness. If you're not aware of it, you can't change it. So oh, starting to say- here's the patterns, here's the different things that keep coming up and here's what we can do to change it. So really, honestly, a lot of it for me was just being consistent with it and then starting the podcast that I launched three years ago um, and then just being able to do over like 150 interviews with people and just really seeing their stories and like being encouraged by them of, you know, the work that they've done, right? And the changes Mm -hmm. that they've made And really seeing the value in that each and every one of us has a story. So like getting into telling that story, right? So whether it's related to mental health, whether it's related to fitness or, you know, um, making film or different interests you have, you know, whatever it is, you know, telling that story and then finding others like community, like we did online. 
So, and then despite the challenges, right? So, I mean, of course there's going to be challenges when, you know, like me going through like losing my account, I had to make a new account. So the one that you, that's how we got connected the live well bipolar, mm-hmm. my page used to be a different page. Um, and then just, you know, of course, like, oh, you lost everything, you know, having to oh, restart. I always get so scared that's going to happen. That almost happened to me. Someone tried to hack me and I was like, I'm too smart but, for you. Bye. But see, yeah, <laughs> it's like, and honestly, I don't, I just, you know, look at the positive of everything and just, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter to me. So, um, but yeah, that's really what a lot of it was, was just changing like the foundation and getting back to looking at things that aren't working and like, here's the patterns that are coming up. And here's what I can start to do to make the changes. Yeah, I pretty much, I feel like you pretty much uh, described me as well. I'm like <laughs> the exact, I'm the exact same way. And then also, um, what are your thoughts on this? So I feel like there's a difference between being self-aware, like practicing self-awareness, than mm-hmm. someone straight up telling you, hey, you're you're acting up. like, I'm like, I think it sounds like so mean. I'm not trying to say it the right way where it doesn't sound like, Mm-hmm. mean but you know like you're showing symptoms or whatever um I just I just feel like I'm just my brain just like knows but maybe it's just maybe because it's like it takes practice so do you believe mm-hmm. like it's something where people have to practice it's not like okay I want to be self-aware it's like something that you're you really have to it take it could take some time to actually practice it is, is that question yeah. making any sense? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean. Like by taking time to like practice more of like the, cause I feel like sometimes how do you become self-aware? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you know what you're doing, what you're saying or like different things. So having those reminders from others around you, and then also just being aware of how you're feeling in the moment. Like I'm feeling yeah. really stressed out right now. I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. And then putting that into words and then saying, you know, why, like ask uh-huh. yourself, Oh, a hundred percent. And then digging deeper and then kind of getting it out. But I feel like, like you're saying that comes with practice, you know, doing it more right. and then really getting into that. Exactly. Like I feel like majority of society is literally living an autopilot. Yeah. They just, mm-hmm. you know, they have the same routine. They get up, they do whatever they got to do. And you know, I mean, we all know this, like when we're, let's say driving to work or a destination you're so used to going to, you would start driving and then you just all of a sudden you're home and you're like, I have no memory of driving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's because your brain is just so like, it's on, it's literally running on autopilot. It's an actual thing. Mm-hmm. And the only thing to really take you out of autopilot is if let's say a car almost hit you. Mm-hmm. Cause then you go from like, mm-hmm. just listening to your tunes, like yada, yada. And then you're like, like that and that's where the alert comes in Mm -hmm. so it's it's really fascinating how our brains work but I think once you you know you you wake up in the morning and say hey I'm I'm aware I'm awake right now okay Mm -hmm. I'm about to start my day and then just being aware of everything you're you're doing instead of just kind of like walking around not I'm gonna say like a zombie buzz kind of I guess um (laughs) so I think just practicing that and then also just kind of like making your days a little bit different I feel like that helps you know, like, even if it's like one little thing, like a lot of people might just get up, go to work, come home, eat, go to bed. Like so many people just have that regular routine, you know, but I think maybe if you just throw something in there, like, okay, let me, uh, I'll go to the gym, let's say three times a week. So one of the days is going to be different than the other day, or I'm going to, um, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything right now, but the point is to just kind of crack yourself out of that that uh that mental state of being on autopilot 
Mm-hmm. No, I get, I get what you mean too. And just like the, and like, that's why I, I remember started getting into practicing gratitude and just like quieting your mind and getting into meditation and different things. And that's really what allows me, I feel like to become more self-aware is like by practicing more things like that, you know, so doing maybe like a five minute meditation, 10 minute meditation, you know, listing out different things you're grateful for, different things that are coming up. There's always things to look forward to, like just memories from the past, like different things that you've experienced. And, you know, whether it's somewhere you went to or, you know, a place you traveled to or a different, you know, a friend or a family member or something like, you know, letting that person know and like reaching out to them, sending them a message, giving them a call, like, you know, starting that because it really helps you see more of, you know, the, the transformation that you've actually done in your life. So, you know, if, you know, if you guys aren't already doing that, you know, I definitely encourage you just like, even to start, you know, just like three simple things you're yeah. grateful for, whether you say it out loud, put it, go on one of these apps and do it or however it is, it really does. It, I mean, it really does make a difference after, you know, when you do it consistently. And it's also, I mean, it's a really, um, thinking practice so you could do in the morning you could do it at night let's say you do it at night you can before you go to bed you can think of okay what three positive things happened to me today that I'm grateful for Mm -hmm. and when you do that you're starting to rewire your brain and I'm sure you know that with your psychology three degree Mm -hmm. like psychology degree (laughs) what's that debris (laughs) it's just gonna turn into a comedy at this point Uh, (laughs) Um, and you know from that that your brain can literally physically rewire itself mm-hmm. physically like I'm like wow we're like a brain we're, we're like a robot and we're like rewiring yes. our brains. it's like we can't get in there and just start like doing <laughs> things I mean doctors can neurologists can technically but I prefer avoiding yeah. having that kind of surgery if you know what I mean but we can do <laughs> right. it ourselves and I just I feel like people when they just hate their lives and they're they feel like their life is very negative and depressed they just feel like okay that's it I'm just depressed it's like no you can heal yourself like it's a thing and when you are healing yourself yeah I mean there's gonna be some setbacks we all go through that but think about it with physical illness the same thing yeah no 100 percent. yeah yeah Okay, so let's talk about your book Cricket Illness so I know we talked about a little bit in the beginning of the podcast but I like to know more detail Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So what do you, what questions do you have? Um, first let's get a, let's, I guess like a quick summary or we can start about what inspired you to start writing it. Yeah. So I started writing it years ago and I feel like the podcast is what inspired me to publish it. Cause I, you know, mm-hmm. talking to so many people and doing interviews with people who've written like eight books, five books, and, you know, being able to like get those, you know, build up the relationships with their stories and really Mm -hmm. see what they've done to, you know, to be able to continue writing my story. And they would always ask me, like, I do an interview and I would always go through the questions and then they'd be like, well, what about you? Like, you know, like, are you writing a book? Are you working on it? I'm I'm like, and I'm like, well, like I'm working on it, but I don't think I'm going to publish it. I don't know. And I feel like, again, going back to changing your environment, you get around so many people who've done this thing that you will, you're going to do it too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting into, and I feel like that brings me to why I wanted to write it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to share like, what changes did I make to be able to go from literally struggling with the hospitalization before that, before the diagnosis, 
going back and working in the hospital, launching the podcast, and then really being able to get into like the personal development piece of making the changes, your environments, your habits, what you're doing with your time, all of these things, mm-hmm. and really sharing stories with people and just being able to like have people reach out to me, you know, like every, all the time sending me messages, whether it's, you know, wherever they're finding me, um, and just really sharing that it's helped them or, you know, even if they're not living with bipolar, right. You know, maybe they have someone where it's a sister or their dad or, you know, their grand grandma. Um, and they say, this has helped me understand them more, or this has helped me understand bipolar more. So it's really, really, really cool to see that because that's what I'm, the message I want to leave you guys with is you might not think that you have a special story to tell or put into a book, but really you're making a difference. And even if it's just one life, you're, you're helping that person be able to navigate themselves to come out of it. So that's really why I called it crooked illness and it's Mm -hmm. lessons from inside and outside hospital walls. And I say crooked illness because that was actually the original name when I first launched my podcast, I didn't know what to call Mm -hmm. my book. So I was, and I was like, I'll just say crooked illness because for me, you can't see, at least for me speaking about myself, I couldn't see the ways that I was being crooked or unfair to myself because of my struggles with bipolar and the stigma and feeling weighed down with it. Mm -hmm. And then I also wasn't able to see the way that I was do um treating others that way because i was like blinded by it blinded by the past the struggles all of it so that's really where the name comes from and of course the illness part um mental illness and all of that so that's really why i wanted to share it to show to show people that you know here's literally where it was and here's what i do even this day to be consistent with the work because it doesn't end. Right. It's just not like I will, I'm here now and everything's like perfect as always, you're always going to have to continue doing the work and making the progress. And that's why it's fun because it allows me to meet other people like you and so many other people on who are out open about their stories and who are talking about this. So really that's, that's really why I wanted to bring it to life. And if it wasn't for the encouragement of so many of the, the, interviews that I've done with people who publish their stories. And after reading their books, um, it really shows you that you can, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Where can people find the book to purchase? So it? it is linked on my Instagram. So if you guys it's, um, live well bipolar, there's a link there and you can get it on Amazon. Okay. Awesome. When did you release it again? It was last, it was two, I think in 2021. Okay. Awesome. I definitely have to got to remind myself to order. It's just so I can read it. <laughs> yes. And I yes. can't wait to hear. Um, I know you're going to definitely relate to a lot of the stories I tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just from our conversation today, like I can, I can already tell <laughs> that you will, will for sure. Yeah. I believe we all get connected um, for a reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So um, last thing I want to talk about with you is how do you envision how, how in the future, let's say whatever, 10 years from now, what is your hopes for um, mental health and, you know, taking away the stigma? Like, like what, like, what's the world, like can you describe the world that you wish or envision? Yeah, I would wish that the future when it comes down to mental health is that there's no hesitation anymore about mm-hmm. talking 
about it. Like basically when you think about it, right? Like if you get in the elevator with somebody mm-hmm. and you guys are talking about the weather, oh, it's so nice out or it's sunny or whatever it is. I want mental health to be that easy of a conversation to get into. So no barriers, no obstacles, no fear. Love that. Like the how's no. the weather kind of conversation. Love yes. that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I was at a concert recently in Philly. Um, it was for this artist, uh, Nessa Barrett. She's really big on mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was in a room, of course, people who would feel the same way since that's like what she believes in and that's what all her music is pretty much about. And this girl I was just chatting with, she was like right next to me. She was like 19 years old. And she was like, she says to me, she's like, her album came out the day I tried to kill myself. And she was just so like, not a lot about that. I'm like, I didn't expect that to come out of her mouth, but I'm like, hey, I mean, with the younger generation, it's it's definitely, you know, she's a Gen Z, so it's more, you know, normalized there. And it was interesting. It was awesome. I mean, I barely know her. Um, and mm-hmm. she mentioned that. And I felt like so bad. I was like, can I, I was like, can I hug you? And she was like, she's like, I don't like hugs. I'm like, that's okay, fist bump me. You know, I mean, I always ask. I don't just like hug random people, which some people, <laughs> you know, are don't believe like don't really understand how it's like it should be people should always ask before you know you just yeah. buddy because not everyone likes that kind of affection um but when she said that I was like wow I did not expect that mm-hmm. um but um, yeah that's that's what made me think about how you want to how you want the world to be for it just kind of be like even though it's I don't know I kind of wonder like why it has to make f- people feel uncomfortable you know what mm-hmm. I mean it's Mm -hmm. I just feel like yeah it's definitely dark but it's real yeah yeah and and I think that's like the main thing of this podcast too is that we're gonna talk about real stuff and it's I mean hence the name mentally a badass it's not gonna Mm -hmm. be I don't like things to be sugarcoated because there's no in my opinion I feel like if we sugarcoat everything we're not gonna get anywhere Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. And I just feel like I'm so happy that we got to have this conversation. And like you're saying, you know, really, what the hope is for the future of mental health is wanting to have it so it's, it feels easy and, and simple and not stressful and overwhelming and really, really scary to get into. So Honestly, I just want to thank you too for just having me on and, you know, getting into the, these parts of my story and just, you know, breaking down the different pieces of stigma, like the childhood hospitalization, you know, talking about the book, like what's going on with the story mm-hmm. and, you know, the podcast and really like how that's been able to really save my life and help mm-hmm. me get connected with such awesome people like you. So Justine, I just want to say thank you seriously for having me on. I just, I love our conversation and I know there's going to be uh, many more to come. Yeah, absolutely. I really do appreciate, you know, taking the time to go on my podcast and to uh, chat with my listeners about your story and what you're doing so good for the mental health space. Um, but for anyone who's listening, I hope you guys have a good morning, evening and night and stay tuned for next week's episode.